you don't have to, but that's, uh, that is totally available. So we're starting a new series today. Um, it's a series called Life in Parable. It's going to be a walk through the parables and teachings of Jesus. And all through Scripture, we see Jesus teaching in parables. He spoke and he taught in parables. And most of us were raised to think that parables were some kind of little metaphorical story or they were sort of earthly stories with, a, with kind of a spiritual meaning. And, and while those things are certainly true, it's actually a little bit deeper than that. It's a little bit more complicated. It's, it's actually a little bit more messy than that because parables were about life. They weren't about some tidbit of truth that could be applied to our heavenly life, but they were about life here on earth. Jesus was teaching people literally how to live, and parables were convicting, and they were messy, and they were complicated, but they were true. And so I thought that we'd begin to explore these as a way of looking at our own life, that if Jesus is teaching about life, about life that follows him, a life that submits to God, what, that, what would that look like if we unpacked and explored these together. So over the next weeks, we're going to be unpacking and looking at these parables as we attempt to discover our own life buried in there, our own life in parable. Well, the parables are confusing on some levels because, as we'll even see today, the disciples, they don't quite get it. I mean, it was almost like Jesus was talking in, in this story thing, and there's something to be kind of pulled out of there. And, and, and Scripture can be like that at times. Scripture can be confusing. I mean, you can ask my five-year-old Cooper. He had an experience last night that I thought I'd share that was really confusing. Now, we, as we get ready to go to bed, we've been reading this children's Bible together as a family, just kind of doing Bible stories. But Cooper has this little Bible, and I brought it so you could see it. He's got this little Bible, this big. It's a New Testament, and it is the um, authorized King James Version with the Psalms, okay? And he got it as a gift from the, the church we were at when he was born, okay? The church really loved us. It's dated March 25th, 2005. Now, Cooper's birthday was April, but hey, what's a month in the scheme of birthdays, right? So anyway, he, uh, he was born, and they gave him this little Bible, and he loves it. He carries it around, and he has me read to him from it sometimes. And so he asks me, Dad, read the story of Jonah. It's a New Testament. So, of course, I open it, and I say, eh, Jonah got swallowed by a fish, and we talk through the story. But it's a King James Version, so it's really, hard to, it's really hard to understand and read, but he loves it. And so my mother-in-law and my father-in-law are in town, they're right down here, and they're in town this week. And so Cooper, he was taking advantage of this opportunity, and he was reading, and he wanted Mama B to read out of the blue Bible, right? And so Mama B, being much better than I am, she decides she's really going to read to him out of the King James Version. I sort of make it all up. And uh, I want this and thou and ye and yost and whatever, so... He, she's reading to him, and she opens it up just randomly to the book of Galatians chapter 4. So they're laying there in bed. He's getting ready to go to bed. And, you know, first of all, I mean, you've got to hold this thing a mile away to be able to see it. But she is, uh, she's reading to him, and he's listening to these words. And she's reading out of Galatians. I have no idea why. Maybe because it just sort of popped open that way. And this is what it says. It says, And if ye be in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from the servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the appointed time of the father. And Cooper gets this big grin on his face, and he looks up at her and he says, that part about tutors is funny. And, and so she, I couldn't decide which was funnier, Cooper thinking that or my mother-in-law trying to explain to him that there are two kinds of tutors. There are tutors, those that toot, and there are tutors, those that teach, right? 
So she goes out to tell Meredith and, and, and Daddy Bob, my, my father-in-law, the story. And Cooper can hear them all laughing. He comes in. He goes, it's just the kind that teach. Like he's all disappointed. But that was what he heard. That the Bible is full of tutors and governors. And uh, so, you know, Scripture is interesting because, you know, it, it's got a depth of meaning to it. And the parables live in that sort of depth of meaning. They live in this sort of place of, of complicated yet simple, engaging kind of rhetoric that challenges us to think and that pushes us towards action. And that's really where we're going to be over the next sort of weeks is exploring these words of Jesus as we challenge the way that we think and we're propelled to action as we begin to live and find our own lives in the teaching of Jesus. So we're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 4 today. If you've got a Bible, pull it out. If there's one next to you, grab it. If you need one, we will get them to you. We have them. Book of Mark chapter 4 verse 1 um, is where we're going to start today in uh, the parable of the sower, or also known as the parable of the soils, or, or something that we're all familiar with. And the great thing about the parables, or one of the great things about the parables, is that most of us are familiar with them on some level. We've heard them, we know them, um, we hear the stories, or we've grown up with them, and so there's a lot of this that may ring with this sort of uh, familiarity, this sort of, um, I, I've heard that, or I know that, and, and I love scripture that, that, it, that I hear over and over again, and God shows me something brand new in the middle of having heard this verse a dozen, two dozen times. So we're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 4. If you got your Bible, go ahead and turn there, verse 1, and we are going to be reading all the way down through verse 9. But before we do that together, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is, it is alive and that it is active and that it penetrates our hearts. We thank you that you brought us here in this place from all different walks of life, from all different places, from all different backgrounds. And uh, with all different needs, Lord, and uh, we pray that you would just meet us here today, God, that you would do something tremendous in our lives and that you would just um, speak to our hearts, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Take a moment right where you sit and just invite God to move in your heart. Just, just God, will you move in me? God, will you move in me this morning? Just whisper that. Pray for someone beside you, even if you don't know their name. Just pray for them. Pray that God would, would move in their heart or in their life this morning. And that he would reveal himself to them. Amen. Lord, we just ask that you would move in us. This is the word of the Lord. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, and the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat, and he sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering his seed, and some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up, and some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. And they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plant, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on the good soil, and it came up, and it grew, and it produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even a hundred times. And then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, this is the, the first parable that we see recorded in Scripture that Jesus teaches. And, and I thought long and hard about 
you know, doing a, a, this little background on why parables and what Jesus was doing and what they would have meant to the Greek and Hebrew culture. But really what I think we're going to do is just kind of let the parable speak for itself and see what God reveals and teaches to us along the way. And so we'll just kind of open it and see what happens. Now, for the past year or so, I've mentioned a dozen or so times that when Jesus traveled to places, people showed up in huge numbers. I mean, everywhere he went. And it wasn't all that uncommon. It wasn't like Jesus was the only one that had a band of followers. It actually was very common for a rabbi or a teacher to have people that followed him around. And they would walk around the countryside, and those people, those disciples or followers or apprentices or whatever kind of lingo you want to use, they would just follow him around hoping for some kind of nugget of wisdom or like pearl of, of, of great price or whatever to fall from this person's lips so that they could glean it. And you know, if you guys ever seen, or most of you probably remember seeing the movie The Forrest Gump, you remember when he goes and he's running across the country and then all those people that are running behind him hoping that he just says something and he stops and they all are like, the hush falls over everybody and they're like, he's going to speak, he's going to speak. And he's like, I don't feel like running no more. You remember that whole part? Well, that was basically what was happening is that Jesus would travel and people would go everywhere. It wasn't just the 12. Now, there were some times it was just the 12 walking around. But really, when Jesus showed up in a region, I mean, people showed up in droves by the hundreds and by the thousands. Now, Jesus was different. He was a different kind of teacher. And his people, the people that followed him were really, really different as well. I mean, Jesus had the religious elite. He had educated people. He had scholars. He had sinners. He had tax collectors. He had prostitutes. He had crippled people. He had hurting people. He had sick people. He had this kind of crazy mix of people. And, and anywhere he went, people would even, even more people would show up. And when, when the word spread that he was going to be in an area, I mean, people came out in droves. That's why we have the picture of Jesus feeding 5,000. Those stories were of people that were gathering to hear what this man had to say to hopefully bring their sick and those that are hurt and, and lay them at his feet. Well, our story today, or our parable today, is really no different in that aspect. Jesus is, is teaching, or he gets to a place where he's teaching, and the crowd is so large that he's almost kind of being pushed into the lake. And it says that he's standing on the lake shore, and he gets out in a boat, and he sits down. And he begins to teach them in parables. Now, the typical position for a teacher in, those, in that day was a, a seated position. It was a position of humility. And oftentimes, they would take a lower position. So I would, I would sit and I would look up at my crowd in more of an amphitheater type setting as a, as a sort of humility um, teaching position. Now, our teaching positions are usually from a stage or from a platform, you know, and you sit and I stand and I cast my power down upon you. But, but really, Jesus... It was a much different picture with teachers and rabbis in those days. In fact, even in the temple, they would, they would sit and teach. So Jesus does just that. He gets in this boat, whoever boat that was, and they put off just a little bit from shore, and he teaches all these people. And we don't have quite count how many, but you can imagine hundreds or thousands of people pressed on this lake shore, and Jesus sits down and he just begins to teach them. It says he taught them many parables. This just happens to be the first one. And he teaches them in parables. And, and he says a, f- a farmer is sowing a seed. Now it's quite, I mean, it's not out of the realm of thinking to think that Jesus looked off in the, in the distance and on the other side of the lake or up on this hillside, there was actually a farmer. I mean, it, it would have been something these people were totally accustomed to seeing all the time. It's not like we could stand on the corner here in Western and I could say a farmer and we'd see one. I mean, th- this was an agricultural society and, and people farmed all the time. And most of these people that came had a, a little piece of land or they had a, a little piece of uh, property that they farmed on some level, even if it was in the, just the, the front part of their home. I mean, people had to grow 
grow food, and they did it. And we saw this in, in Africa all the time. I mean, everybody that had a little hut had some little something to grow. So they were really familiar with growing and, and farming and those kind of things. And, and it wouldn't have been all uncommon for Jesus to say something like, you see that farmer over there? So they're all, you know, kind of, it's in the middle of their realm of understanding. And Jesus says a farmer sows his seed. And typically a farmer, you know, they, they didn't have fancy equipment, obviously. And so he had a bag, and it was full of seed. And it was either attached to his waist or over his shoulder. And a farmer literally would walk through his field, and he'd take his hand in that bag, and he'd scatter seed. And that was how he, he planted the seed. He would scatter this seed, and, and he'd walk through his field doing just that. And he'd scatter seed as he walked. And, and Jesus says, now, there's a farmer, and he's sowing his seed, which means he's planting it, or he's scattering his seed. And it says, and some of that seed fell among the path, and the birds of the air that came and ate it up. And he says, and then some of that seed it fell among the rocky places. And it grew up quickly, and the sun came out, and, and it scorched it because it had no root. And he says, and then some of the seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns and the weeds, they kind of grew it up, and they choked it, choked it out. And he says, but some of the seed fell where it should have fallen. It fell in the soil. And it grew, and it produced a crop in 30 and 60 and, and even 100 times is what he says. This is the, the parable that he's teaching. Now, they would have been so familiar with this. It would have just made total sense. Because a farmer, when he sowed his seed, he would walk literally on a path. In fact... There was a common path that was typically used in all these farming kind of fields where people could walk through. So you didn't have to walk all the way around someone's piece of property, or you didn't have to walk on their crop. There was a well-traveled path, and we saw this in Africa too. As we go through these fields, there was a very hard traveled path through all of these fields, and they zigzagged all through there. But you didn't walk on someone's crop. And he says that, that some of these fell on that hard path. And, of course, when a piece of seed falls on that, that path, it can't, it can't get buried in the soil or whatever. I mean, it really is just like a beaten down piece of trail, and eventually the birds just come, come and eat it up. And they would have been really familiar with that. They would also have been familiar with, with kind of farming in the Mediterranean out there. It wasn't all perfect topsoil. I mean, they were farming on mountainsides and hillsides, and, and some of that seed would have fallen on the rocks. And, and I like that, you know, it's that picture of that, 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 Thing that grows in your driveway, you know, that one little piece of dirt crack and that plant grows like a mile high. I mean, it's that kind of picture, right? Except those are weeds and they sort of last, but you couldn't grow an ear of corn or a corn stalk out of your driveway. I mean, there's just no roots. And so they would have been familiar with the idea that when some of that seed falls among the, the, the cracks, even though it's good seed and it would start to produce a plant, eventually when, when there's no rain or when the sun comes out, it's going to die, right? Because there's just no, there's no roots for it. They would have been really familiar with farming in, in that area. They'd also been familiar with the idea of, of uh, thorns. I mean, we, we get this. If you've done any kind of flower bed work or any time of gardening or planting, you know how this works. I mean, if you don't get out there and pull weeds, eventually they just overtake whatever it is that you're growing. And at first it's no big deal, but eventually over time, those weeds will choke it out if you don't, don't tend to them. And so a farmer knew that he had to tend his field. He had to get out there and he had to pull weeds because if he didn't, it was going to choke out his crop. But they all knew that the seed is supposed to go in the ground. It's supposed to fall on that good soil. So this is the parable that Jesus tells. And this is really something that everyone would have just said, man, he is speaking right to my realm of understanding. I mean, this is right in my wheelhouse. I mean, Jesus is speaking to what I do every single year. We put seed in the ground. So it would have been something that, that they were so all familiar with on some level. And so the disciples get really confused after all this. I mean, this is really the first time they're ever hearing Jesus teach in parables. I mean, he had been teaching so plainly up until this point. And there's a whole lot of really amazing theological reasons why Jesus transfers from teaching plainly to teaching in parables. And I, and I really wish we could get into all that. But, 
But he's teaching in parables now. And so afterwards, the disciples are confused. And if you keep reading in the book of Mark, right down through that next, into that chapter, you'll see they come to Jesus and they say, well, what was that? What, what does that mean? We don't even understand. I mean, a farmer sowing a seed, and well, uh, we don't understand. And Jesus says, how do you not understand this? And then he begins to explain it to them. And Jesus doesn't explain all his parables. Most of them he just kind of leaves hanging. And he says, those who have ears, let them hear. But he begins to explain this one to the disciples. And he begins to talk about the characteristics of those soils. Which is really where I see this parable taking hold of our own life. So he's explaining this to, to the disciples. And these guys, these little guys that are gathered around him saying, what in the world does this mean? And he says, listen, here's the thing. He says the farmer sows his seed, right? And the farmer's this picture of God. He sows his seed. And, and, and Mark refers to the seed, if you read on, he refers to it as the word. Luke refers to it actually as the word of God. And Matthew refers to it as the message of the kingdom of God. That's how they, these different authors refer to that. But either way, it is the word, the message. And to add a little depth to that, John refers to Jesus as, in chapter 1, as the logos, or the word. So, we have this picture of Jesus being the word. So we get the idea that this message of the kingdom of God, this word of God, this word is the gospel, is truth, is Jesus. It's the message of the kingdom of God. And he's saying, a farmer sows the word of God or the word or the message of the kingdom of God, the truth, the gospel. A farmer sows this message. And he says they can fall in one of these four places. As Jesus is explaining this to the disciples, he says they can fall in a hard heart. And Matthew and Luke introduce the path as a heart. They say it can fall in a hard heart. And he refers to the birds as the enemy. He says that Satan can come in and, and pick that word up off that hard heart before it has a chance to even do anything. Now, I don't know if you've ever fed the pigeons or the ducks, but... You know what that's like. I mean, my only kind of uh, really re memory or, or recollection of feeding the ducks happened when I was about 10 or 11, and, and, and we went down to the hike and bike trail in Austin, and it goes around Town Lake, and there's this great little trail, and everybody goes down there and rides a bike and walks their dogs, and we used to go down there and feed the ducks and the pigeons. I don't know why. We loved it. And so my mom would take us down there, and we'd ride our bikes around, and we'd feed them. And, and the goal my brother and I would do is we'd take these Ritz crackers or crackers, and we'd try and get the ducks to come out of the water up onto the, the trail, and then we'd try and grab them, right? And then, I mean, because that's what 10-year-olds do. And my mom would yell at us to stop trying to grab the ducks. But we were trying to get them out, out of the water. And the only recollection I really have of this, and, uh, and it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, I thought I'd just share it anyway, is is uh, we had these crackers this day, and my mom had, had taken us down there with our bikes and spent her Saturday doing this. We rode around. We were finally going to feed the ducks, and we, we, were, we, were, we had all these pigeons and ducks on this path. I mean, we were throwing out all these crackers, and people were gathering around. I mean, there must have been, you know, 30 or 40 of these things, and they, were, they gobbled up as fast as it hit the ground, and, and we ran out of crackers. And I was not done feeding the ducks. And so I looked at my mom, and I said, Mom, we're out of crackers. And she goes... Well, you should have brought more. And I looked at my mom and I said, that's not my job. And I thought my mom's head was going to spin around. <laughs> Woo, man, I was a stinker as a kid. But I remember thinking, that's the last time we ever went and fed the ducks. All right, we never did that again. But I remember in that whole kind of thing, this, these pigeons just pulling this stuff off that path. Boom, 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 boom. And, and Jesus sort of equates this, the enemy to that. I mean, the word falls on these hard hearts, on a hard heart, and then Satan just comes, he takes it away. 
And, I, you know, most of us would not say that we're sitting here with really hard hearts, all right? But maybe you know someone or you've been in a place where I have just been so disenchanted with God, so angry at Christians or the church or religion that I just don't want to hear it. I don't want any part of it. I mean, Jesus is saying when, when our hearts are hard like that, we can hear the truth and the enemy just comes and takes it away. There's no place for it to root. Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, you know, that, that heart is a picture of the hard path. And he says, you know, this word, this truth, this gospel, this kingdom of God message can fall among the rocky places. And it can spring up really, really quickly, but it dies out when the sun comes out because there's no root. And, and you know what? You've probably been here. I've certainly been there at some point in time. Maybe you're there right now where we have this, we know we've had this authentic encounter with Jesus Christ. We know that it's real. We know that at some point in time in our life, we have been passionate and on fire for Jesus. Like something was moving and happening and it was real. But somewhere along the way, I have become passionless. Something has washed that part of my life out. And I believe that I love the Lord, and I believe that God is true, and I believe in that message, but, but man, I feel like I've died somewhere. I feel like I've lost this passion or this fire. And, and Jesus kind of equates it to this idea of you have no root. Now, roots really hold, have two main purposes, right, in a the plant. They, they give it life. They, they kind of go out through the soil, and they bring in water and nutrients, and they sustain that plant. I mean, without roots, there's no way for these plants to get nutrients in the soil. And, and roots are also serve as an anchor point, right? They hold a plant in the ground. So when the winds come and the waters come and the rains or whatever, the plant stays in the ground. And Jesus is basically saying those roots are, are what's so important in our Christian life, that we are rooted in the message and the truth of Jesus Christ and that it gives us life. And that it grounds us and roots us to what is true and what is real. And you may be sitting here today going, you know what? Trip, there was a time in my life when I was passionate. Maybe it was when I was 12 or 14 or when I was in the seventh grade or when I gave my life to Christ in college or whatever. But there was a time, man, where I just, everything I hungered for was about the Lord. I just loved it. But somewhere along the way, I've just lost my roots. I've become passionless and dry and empty and I just feel like the sun is beating down on me all the time, and I'm just tired. I'm just tired. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're sitting here today, and you're just saying, I'm tired, and I feel like I've got no roots, and I feel like I'm just barely clinging to this life, just barely clinging. And Jesus is saying, we've got to be rooted in truth. We have to have deep roots that bring life into us. And what are we rooted in? We're rooted in the gospel and the love and the person of Jesus Christ. We draw life from that. And not only that, but when those winds come and when those rains come, we are anchored to the ground. Jesus then says this. He says, in some of those seeds, they fall among the thorns. And eventually they grow and they, they get ready to produce, but those thorns just choke out their life. And I find it really interesting. Listen to how he explains the thorns to the disciples at the end of chapter 4. He says this. He says, but the, he says, still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke out the word. The worries of the life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. So listen to what Jesus equates to the thorns. He equates them to the worries of life. 
the, the lie of wealth, the deceitfulness of, of financial gain, and longing for other things. Now, here's the thing with the thorns, is that at first they don't seem so bad. I mean, if you plant a crop, it grows, and the thorns aren't really doing anything. The weeds are just sort of growing there. They're not really doing much. And then the weeds begin to multiply because they grow like weeds, and they slowly begin to just become part of the plant's life until one day they just choke it out. I mean, is this not true for our lives? We surround ourselves with things that aren't really that seem that big a deal. Like, I'm just sort of existing with all this stuff. Until one day we realize that it has overrun our life. And we feel like the life has been choked out of us. And what does Jesus refer to those things as? He refers to them as life's worries. I mean, how many of you are sitting here saying, man, I spend so much time worrying about life about where my money's going to come from or not come from, about who thinks this of me or that of me or what am I going to do when this happens or what if, you know, this happens to somebody I love. I just let these worries of life, Jesus calls them thorns. He calls them those things that will choke the life out of a producing plant, out of a follower of Christ. Something that will choke your life away is worrying about life. And notice that he doesn't say worrying about things that are really important. He just says worrying about life. The things of life that worries. He also says the deceitfulness of wealth. One of those things that will choke the life out of a follower of Christ is the deceitfulness or the lie of wealth. The longing for it, the doing anything to try and get it, or the attaching too much importance to it will choke the life out of you. And it doesn't happen overnight. It happens slowly until you wake up and you realize, how did I become so entangled and worry so much about this? And I have zero trust in Jesus. He also says, the last thing he says is the desire for other things. I love that. He doesn't say the desire for fancy things like a brand new chariot or a horse or a car or whatever you drive in those days. He just says you want other things, things other than the truth and the word of God. Anything other than the truth of God, when we begin to want and long for those things, they're like thorns that eventually choke out our life. I love that. It doesn't say Jesus says we can't have them. It doesn't say he won't give them to us. It just says when we begin to desire them more than we desire the truth. Man, I've found myself here so many times having an authentic relationship with Jesus, saved and living for the king, and then one day waking up and realize that I have allowed life to choke, or allowed these things to choke the life out of me. And now I am struggling and fighting to get perspective on what is real and what is important. And Jesus said, you know, maybe you're there. And Jesus says, these are those thorns, right? The worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for things. They sneak in and they choke it out. But then Jesus says, and lastly he says this, he says, but then some of that soil falls on a heart that is receptive and good. And listen to how he describes it to the disciples at the end of chapter 4. He says, other seed, um, like the seed sown on the good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop. So then there's hearts that say, God, I hear your truth, I hear your word, I hear your message, I accept it, which means I take it in, I don't just acknowledge it. There's a difference in acceptance and acknowledge. I could acknowledge God's truth, but when I accept it, it means I allow it to become part of me. God, I accept it and I produce. A lot of us think that the Christian life is simply about existing and living morally good. 
Like if I just don't do too many things, rock the boat morally, and I just exist, then I'm pleasing God. But the truth is, Scripture says that a life that follows Jesus produces. It produces fruit. John 15, 5, where we pull a lot of the name for our community, says, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man remains in me, he bears fruit. See, a lot of times we also think that bearing fruit means I go out and I produce for God. I live the best life I can doing things for the kingdom. But Jesus says that we produce fruit by being in him and him in us. What we have to understand is that following Christ means I remain in Jesus and he remains in me. And I don't go out as pioneer Christian trying to do things for God so that I can make myself feel better. But that I say, Jesus, I want to be in you. Because I know that if I'm in you and I'm rooted and I'm grounded and I'm gaining life, I know that, then I know that my life produces fruit. And maybe somewhere along the way, just as you're sitting here today, you can imagine that Jesus sitting by this lakeshore, sitting on this boat, and he is teaching and speaking to you. And maybe you're at one of these places. Maybe your heart is hard. Maybe you're angry and bitter at God or at your ex-husband or your ex-wife or your kids or whatever. Maybe you just have this bitter, hard heart. And the enemy's greatest tool is just to come and take that word of truth away. Or maybe you're sitting here and, and you've allowed your life somewhere along the way to just be rootless. You've lost whatever that passion and fire was, that sort of ignition part of your life. It just says, I want to explode for Jesus. And you realize that once you once had it, what you had was gone. And you feel like the sun is beating down on you and you are tired. Or maybe you've allowed the things of life, the worries and the struggles and the desire for things, the deceitfulness of wealth and all those things to choke the life out of you. And you don't even really know how it happened. But somewhere along the way you recognize that you are unhappy and that you're clinging for things that aren't there, grabbing for things that aren't there. But the message for all of us is that God desires us to live as a soil that will remain in him and produce fruit 30 and 60 and 100 times that we would produce. And how do we do that? We remain in Christ. We say, Jesus, I want you in me and I want to be in you with everything that I do. And just maybe Jesus is teaching you and speaking to you the same way he spoke to that crowd in hundreds. As we prepare to close our heart and our minds in, in worship today, I want you to see this little video. I want you just to imagine that you're sitting on the side of this lake shore and the king of kings, the prince of all peace, is teaching you and he's speaking to you. And see what he says to your heart as you take a look at this and then we'll close in worship.